0: Hello, I'm Neil Whelan and welcome to another Wesleyan Next Step podcast. With me again as always is Isabel Skinner from the Student Liaison Team. Welcome back to the show, Izzy. Hi, Neil. You've been on Skype again this week talking to Michael Helley, so tell us a little bit about him.
1: So we met Michael at the Edinburgh Next Step event in 2019. Uh, He was talking about his experience on the Academic Foundation programme. It's something that students are often asking about, something that they're not sure about. So we thought this would be a great opportunity to find out more and grill him a little bit about that experience.
0: Great. Well, with it being such an important topic and one, as you say, that we're constantly being asked about, it's a little bit longer than usual, but it's worth it because there's some good stuff in there. So let's hear what you two have to say.
2: My name is Michael Healy. I'm an FY2 and currently in neurosurgery in Glasgow, um, and I'm on the Academic Foundation programme. Uh, I did my undergraduate training in St Andrews and Glasgow University, and between St Andrews and Glasgow, um, I did uh, an intercalated Masters of research, uh, which is when I kind of started to think that I was into the sort of the research world. Um, so I did my three years in St Andrews, did my year of research, joined the Glasgow Clinical School, um, and then applied into the, the, the Scottish Academic Foundation programme for posts in the Glasgow Royal Infirmary and um, the Queen Elizabeth. So I've done eight months of general surgery, four months of geriatrics, uh, four months of histopathology, neurosurgery just now, and then I'll finally complete it off with general surgery next block.
1: Fantastic, yeah, so a real mixture of things. And it's lovely that you've kind of stayed where you studied as well. You know, a lot of students are having that like, toss up between staying in a university town or moving away.
2: Yeah, no, that was really nice for me. So they, I think, different people have different motivations for for why they do the academic foundation program, and what it, for me, I wanted to to balance my interests and my specialty that I wanted to do um, local research that was going on, um, and then also being close to home and being close to family, um, and the fact that you know I I chose to come to Glasgow after St Andrews because of some of the new hospitals that were getting built there, and because of the neurological institute. Um, wow. So it's like an ecological decision to come to come to Glasgow uh, from a foundation training. And it's also helpful being in the hospitals that you went to medical school in. You know, knowing where the canteen is and knowing knowing how to get from one ward to the other uh, is often one of the most um, uh, stressful things about starting a, as a new FY one is knowing where to go and how to find things.
1: I can imagine that familiarity kind of means that the things that are tricky about the job you can focus on, and like you said like finding your lunch is one that you can just kind of have ticked off and not worry about so so when we met you at the Edinburgh Next Step event in 2019 what you were saying about the academic foundation program is something that really piqued my interest because I find it's something that students often don't know quite so much about or they're not sure whether it's something that they should go for and I guess the best place to start I know that you've touched on it um, is about what it
2: was about the Academic Foundation Programme that interested you? Okay, so so I wanted to do the Academic Foundation Programme because I wanted to, I want to sort of be in, a, in a, an environment which is a culture of uh, learning and development and understanding, um, so I, I just thought it was something a wee bit extra to do um, over and above the the kind of day-to-day job as a, as a doctor, which um, is not to detract from uh, from the normal foundation program i think the exciting part of this job and the, the primary focus of of doing your foundation training is to become a hopefully good doctor first and foremost um, but the academic foundation program i think offers is different goals for different people um, some people are really really you know focused and they want to be a clinical academic in the future and they want to be a professor of some particular area Um, or they may have developed primary research interests and degrees prior to starting medicine um, and they know they want to focus on uh, being a research a clinical research scientist um, as well as a doctor from a very early stage for myself I think as doctors regardless if you want to be a a an academic or not um, our practice is based on research and for me I think if you want to uh, understand something you should know how to do it uh, so that was for my decision of doing the master's was I want to know how to do research properly so that I can in- interpret the research of others, if that's how I'm going to influence my practice. Um, and I just thought the, you know, the academic foundation program, depending on where you go, might not necessarily separate you from a motivated, normal foundation program training. Um, but it puts you in a sort of culture of, of learning and development um, and you're kind of surrounded by peers that are all sort of a bit curious. Um, about everything um, and that that's what sort of motivated me to, to, to do the, the, the academic foundation programme.
1: Yeah and it's a great environment to be in especially because foundation training is almost like a continuation of what you're doing at medical school, you're still very much learning. I guess as you said it's great to be in that environment where people are doing the discovery and, and the research so yeah it makes a lot of sense. I also remember you saying one of the nuances about Glasgow was that you did just as many clinical rotations as any other foundation, for someone in a foundation programme, and actually your research was additional. Could you go into that a little bit for me?
2: Yeah, that's correct. Um, So, Different foundation schools or different academic schools have different ways of running their programme. Some um, will have a dedicated, so usual foundation models, and you have six four-month rotations um, between different specialties. Some places will do two six-month rotations for one of those years. The Academic Foundation Programme, some places will have a dedicated four-month block where you're doing entirely research. Um, And for some people, particularly people that might be interested in doing lab projects um, or big data crunching projects, that's really, really appealing uh, to them. And it also allows you to get your teeth stuck into something quite meaty, um, where you don't need to think about your own calls or your night shifts, and you can focus primarily on your research. The Glasgow model and a few other models, um, the research is as as an addendum to to your day-to-day practice. So in Glasgow when I signed up for the programme, there was no dedicated research time. Um, It was just something you did over and above uh, your day-to-day work, which if you're in quite a busy job, um, it can be challenging to achieve. Um, and it really really tests your sort of time management. So 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 the, the, there is a paper and it's um I believe it's called succeeding in the academic foundation program um in, in in Scotland and if I can find I can send you the link after the podcast if you like for the listeners. Um and it was quite good just demonstrating that you know in program that doesn't have dedicated time there's a lot of onus on the trainee um to to push themselves to do to do work so whereas in the normal foundation program and one of the refreshing things about about starting work rather than um, being at medical schools you can leave your work at the door so it, it when, when you when you've finished um, your jobs for the day you go home and you think oh i don't i don't need any i don't need to do any assignments and that's that's quite refreshing actually um but then in the academic programme, uh, you do still need to push yourself to do these extra things. Um, and so, some people would prefer to have the four month block to, to focus on their project. Um, whereas, you know, some programmes emphasise the need to, to become clinically competent. Um, and some people say, yes, I can achieve this in eight months. Um, but if one of the pressures of being in an academic programme like that is you need to reach the same level of competency that your colleagues have 12 months to do. Um, and that can be challenging, depending on how your rotor works and what you get exposed to. Uh, so Glasgow's emphasis, and a few, quite a few other programs, is that you, you know, you're full time clinical, um, and you're you're doing your research in your own time, um, and you, you you learn how to um, task manage uh, as time goes on. I think it re- was reflected in my first year output, actually, um, which was not very much. Um, uh, because of how busy the Rota was actually in FY1. Now in FY2, we have two half sessions a week, um, which they try to build into the Rotas depending on how busy the on calls are and how many people are on the Rota. Um, and that's been really, really nice actually, just to have even if it's one afternoon a week to be able to kind of take time and take a step back and look at what you're doing, and organize your thoughts and prepare for the kind of the months ahead.
1: Definitely. So something for those applying to the Academic Foundation Programme to be aware when choosing between practices, because it's really going to change the experience that you have. Absolutely. Whether being proactive and going for those opportunities yourself or being given that dedicated time, it's going to suit different personalities better, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. If, re- if research is your priority, um, then then it may be that you want to choose a program that's got a dedicated four month block. Whereas if you've got an idea about a specialty that's interesting, you, the academic program you can use to guide that. So for me, I'm interested in neurosurgery, so I wanted to make sure I was in a place with a neurosurgical centre during the academic program. Um, so for me, the having dedicated time was less important than being in a centre where I wanted to learn about the craft. Um, so 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 that was a kind of a balancing act on 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 my part. Some people would rather they have a dedicated four month time to focus on whatever they wanted to focus on, um, and didn't mind so much what specialties they were doing.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting to hear how you've kind of considered and prioritised that. So yeah, thank you very much for going through that with us. And then another thing, another big difference between the foundation programmes with the academic is that the application process and the deadlines for that are very different to those for the normal foundation programme. So applications and things will start earlier and there's an interview. So I wondered if that's something that you could, could speak about for us
2: yeah sure so you need to be a bit more organized um in, in order to apply and i think it's fantastic training for for when you're coming to apply for specialty jobs at, at you know in the middle of fy2 um so you need to around about august time the the different units of application the academic units of application will come online uh, to see where all the programs are and usually with that comes a document about what each one does and um, and there's it requires a lot of reading um, and a lot of comparison to to figure out what each program is is offering and seeing if that matches your interest. Uh, so you're allowed to apply to two academic units of applications. Uh, so for Scotland, Scotland is one unit um, and that's divided between the four major cities. Um, but then you could also apply to somewhere else like London um, or the Midlands. Um, but this you get two units of application that you're allowed to apply to uh, so they open up in August um, and then the uh, October is about the deadline for Oriel so you use this system called Oriel which again you will use for your normal foundation application and you'll also use your specialty applications uh, in the not too distant future um, you need to fill in the blank text boxes that they have, that each different programme has different questions they want to ask, um, which there's a, there's a document on the foundationprogram.nhs.uk website, uh, which outlines the, the kind of questions from each, each um, academic unit of application. So you fill in those boxes and that's all get to get done by the end of October or mid-October. And then usually you have an interview process um, in November, December um, with the outcomes of whether or not you've been successful, um, usually at the end of January, which is before your your, your colleagues in the, in the foundation programme. And what's really, really important to remember to not stress out about is if you do not get into the academic foundation programme, you have not done yourself out of a job for the normal foundation programme. So you need to apply to both programmes in parallel. And. Um, and and rank accordingly. So you need to allow time uh, to to do that um, because it's quite big decisions and you've got to weigh up geography uh, with career goals and personal um, agendas.
1: Yeah, there's lots of lots to factor in there. And you touched on the fact that there would be an interview as well. So could you tell me a little bit about your experience doing the interview process?
2: Uh, yes, yeah, so I had a very funny experience. experience. Um, and bearing in mind, you know, we've not had an interview since I was 18 years old. Um, so I interviewed in 2010, I think, um, for medical school. And uh, this was now 2018, uh, 2017 um, that I was having my next interview. Uh, so you all go up into a... A hotel in Edinburgh. Um, I don't think it changes each year. I think it's the same place, and it's a, a, a kind of similar team that check through your portfolio uh, to make sure your your evidence is absolutely um crystal clear. And please make sure you're, you you evidence things appropriately. And there's very good guidance about what's appropriate and not on the foundation uh, programme websites. Um, the interview itself was was it was quite formal. Uh, you know, I walked into a room and there's there's not enough room to shake the people's hands behind the desk, which made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, and then the first thing I said was, I noticed a glass of water on the uh, on the desk, and I thought that was did that belong to the last candidate, or is that a new a new glass of water for me? And the first thing I said in my interview was, is that water fresh? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, You're not I, an it, Yeah, it, no. If if anything, it broke. It did break the ice because they all had a chuckle, and I had a chuckle trying to explain myself that I wasn't absolutely nuts. Um, <laughs> and and then they, it was four set questions. So so each interview, um, they'll have four prescribed questions that they ask. One of which is a clinical question. Um, so a lot of people focus on things you know why do you want to do a academia? Tell us about a research paper that you've read recently? How would you conduct a trial in your hospital? But don't forget about that, that clinical question. Um, and so you know being familiar with your Oxford handbook of those last few emergency scenarios at the back of the book is really, really useful. Common stuff is common, but just be able, you need to be able to talk your, talk your way through. Um, kind of common clinical scenarios that you'd encounter as an FY1. Um, so there's, there's, there's quite a few resources online in different schools uh, to look at practice questions. It really depends on how you work, but a really um, key bit of advice that I would give is that when it comes to papers, which and they will ask about your knowledge of papers and your knowledge of research, it is far, far easier to talk about something that you have done rather than try and learn something uh, just for the sake of an interview so you know i you know i personally am not reading um an, I, an article every week um you know to, to to keep up to date with the literature I, I will tend to see what comes up on my twitter feed tonight it's actually twitter's really useful actually for figuring out what's going on in your specialty um uh, that can be really really useful and i hadn't cottoned on to that uh, prior to my interview, but now I use it to keep up to, up to date with everything. Um, but it's if, you, if you've done a BSc project at university or you've done some research, which you probably have done if you're thinking about the academic programme, um, it's far better if you've read a paper that you've criti- critiqued for your dissertation, it's far easier to discuss that because you've got a good working knowledge of that paper than it is to to pick some random uh, article online that you think is going to be really interesting to talk about. Fair enough if you've digested the article and you know it really well um, but I wouldn't say please do not grab a paper the night before for the first time and try and discuss that uh, in your interview um, and it's just being honest with yourself Um you know if you if you've read something and and done your own work from that paper then it's it's easy to talk about and they pick up on that in the interview
1: yeah that authenticity and even being able to you know joke about a glass of water and talking about research that you're passionate about yourself you know things just come across in a different way don't they you know if you can really feel it and get into that kind of conversation that's going to come across
2: really well yeah. in an interview I definitely wouldn't advocate questioning the hygiene of the um <laughs> of the interview panel but, <laughs> but 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 certainly um be, being more relaxed uh, d- does help and um, you know you're not going to be totally at ease in there but um you just got to think of it as you know it is a dialogue you've got to come across well uh, but you're not coming across as a robot you're coming across as someone that's in, interested and curious and wanting to learn more
1: Yeah, that's really good advice. Thank you. Um, And so along with those, do you have any other tips for students applying to the academic foundation programme? So not just about the interview process. I mean, the whole thing, start to finish. Do you have any top tips?
2: Uh, Yeah. So I think first tip is questioning your own motivation. Is uh, do you want to do it because it sounds good um, or because it's competitive uh, some people that like to do things because it is a challenge. Um, I would say that's not a good motivator for doing something. Um, and it's you know it's it's extra work, even if you get a dedicated four-month block uh, rather than um, myself, which does it as an addendum. Uh, you know it's 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 work over and above uh, what's already quite a uh, a challenging job to do in your first year out of university. Um, so if you don't really enjoy it, then it's going to be difficult. Um, so I'd say de- absolutely um, question why you think you want to do it, um, and do what you enjoy. So choose a project that you think, oh, I want to learn more about this. And and you do have to think about you know your end, your end um, goals and um, and what you're going to produce out of it. So that's you've always got to think about you know I want to do something I enjoy, but I want it to lead somewhere. So you don't want to lead yourself down a rabbit hole that isn't going to produce. Things like presentations, posters, publications. You want to, you want to kind of um, you know get a couple of things out of each thing that you do. Um, but personal joy, I think, is quite a high thing you've got to rank rank in there. Um, and also, you've got to think about what you can use the academic foundation for for your advantage for geography as well. So for me, I, a strong motivator was I could use. Um, I knew that my um, for foundation, normal foundation program, my, my grade point average was very, very average. Um, but my my research work at medical school was, you know, I'd, I'd done quite a bit. Uh, I was quite into some teaching. I'd done lots of stuff with different societies. Um, so I thought, I know, I really want to kind of be in this environment, and actually, it worked in my favour because the extra stuff that I'd done at university uh, was more weighted towards a good academic, um, application. But actually, if I'd not done that and had to go through the normal foundation application, I probably wouldn't have got my first choice of job. Um, so so it is, it is useful as a process. It's quite hard work to apply, um, but it can give you a little bit more control. And in a system, uh, you know, everyone will be used to, you know, feeling really, really small when you, when, you you know, you've got the whole of the United Kingdom to apply to and you think you could go anywhere. It's nice to have that little bit of control. You know, you might not get the job. Um, but you can try and um, you can you know you can choose what you stress about and things that you can't control you shouldn't stress about and things that you can or if you can make something that you can't control into something you can control um, that's a uh, you know that's a, a bonus um, yeah I would say that's the most important thing is choosing your own motivation uh, figuring out your own motivations Secondly, is having a good supervisor, uh, which is notoriously difficult to, to work out when you're a, a very young medical student and you're not sure who's a good supervisor and who's a bad supervisor. Um, you kind of get a feeling when you're working with people, the people that try to make their people grow. Um, so you'll get some, you want to find someone that will take you under their wing, um, but not do the work for you you want someone that's going to mentor you um, and usually you can identify these people on placements Um, it, it will be the ones the the consultants that are delivering teaching and um, it will be the ones that will do little morning sessions of suturing or something um, or afternoon or, or like lunchtime teaching and um, so you, you see, seek out people send emails off you know universities have loads of databases of all the research that's going on and just be proactive and send emails can i come to the lab and have a look around or can i meet for coffee to discuss this um, trial that you're doing I, I want to learn more and the people that um the best supervisors are the ones that will take you under the wing and explain what they're doing and have that mutual you know respect to realize actually after that discussion it might not be for you and um, some medical students in particular are quite guilty for you they have one conversation and then they think oh right i have to do this now but you can say actually do you know what i've got too much on um that's not for me or actually i didn't think that was as interesting as as what i thought um i'd rather do something else so i think uh close look communication is is excellent if uh, if you're wanting to do this does that make sense does it
1: absolutely no it does it's kind of just being really honest with yourself there's so many decisions to be made at this time where you want to be again for you that conferred another advantage being familiar with stuff that you'd encountered during your studies perhaps helping you to choose a good supervisor all of these decisions coming in you you do have to kind of trust your gut instinct don't you and not be sort of sidetracked by as you said going for what's competitive or you know Kind of doing things for the sake of things being really true to yourself when you make those choices
2: yeah i think the you know certainly medical students uh, a as, as, as a breed are competitive there's you know it's just it's just in their nature even the non-competitive ones are by virtue of where they are competitive um and, it, and, it, and it's okay to have that drive to say you want to push yourself um but i'd say if you if you're only doing it because you want to win um but actually you're finding that whole process quite stressful that's that's not an enjoyable process um so you really want to you know I I I quite like um uh, neuroscience and I quite like to know know about how how nerve cells interact uh, with each other and what happens in injury I generally find that quite interesting um but uh, there's other stuff that I would find absolutely mind-numbingly boring and it's just not worth it yes you might get a first author publication but if you have hated every second of that it's not worth it in my opinion some people might have different opinions to that
1: no, I'm with you on that definitely and really interesting to hear that the academic foundation program played to some different strengths so some different achievements and different things that you had done were perhaps a more heavily weighted factor in you getting the position that you wanted to be in relative to the normal foundation program so hopefully that'll be really reassuring for our listeners doing those extra things as you're saying it's teaching and extra research and things like that
2: yeah so I've had this this year actually I've had conversations with a few medical students that I'd said to them are you thinking of applying to the the academic program and they've said oh I didn't think that was for me um and then I'd say well did you not do an intercollated degree and this is all oh, well yeah and I said did you do anything from that he says oh well I presented it at one conference and then I were thinking about writing it up as a paper and then I was like did you not did you not coordinate this this group at uni and like yes yeah, but I just don't think I'm and what they're looking for, because people have this idea of what an academic is, I mean, it's usually false. Um, you know, I think I think a lot of academics are just people with attention issues, um, and they, they just want to find out what's going on in the world. Um, and so I say to them, it's, 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 Go, go, go ahead and, and and apply. Um, you know, it's 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 not for everybody, but it's for more than what people think of this, you know, stereotypical aloof." academic that doesn't um doesn't have any interest in clinical management at all that's absolutely not what it is um and i would encourage everybody at medical school to look into the academic program um, as long as it's for the the good intent their correct intentions
1: yeah that's a really great message thank you for that um, and then I suppose for the next part of the conversation, what I wanted to s- discuss was more your experience of the Academic Foundation Programme now that you've started, hopefully be able to impart some of the expertise on those who are kind of thinking of going down that path. Um, so I know we've touched on it, but I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the way the, in which your time is split between research and being on the ward and how you manage that. I know you said time management was a really big factor. Can you go into some of the specifics of that for you?
2: Yeah, sure. So I, I would say certainly when you arrive on the wards, if you don't have academic time built into your into your rota, um, it's very challenging. Um, and those first few weeks of being a, an FY1 um, I would say absolutely focus on learning how to do the job. Um, there's, you, there, you know, some people are are, are very very good, um, and do manage to do lots of things at once. I myself, kind of, quite linear, almost in my, in my way of working. And uh, what set aside, I thought, you know what, this this first four to six weeks. Um, I'm, I just want to learn the system and learn how to do my job effectively and then think about what I'm going to be doing from an academic perspective. Um, I, I did work a very, very busy rota in my first year and that's probably reflected in the fact I didn't do uh, much of a tangible, with much things with a tangible output from um, my academic programme um, and I ended up doing one quality improvement project, um, which has actually worked out quite well, but, you know, there's there's probably other quite motivated a regular foundation FY1s that will have done more than what I did. In my in, in my FY one and that just varies from person to person. Um, I I was quite big on the fact that I wanted to gain clinical experience um, and and improve my task management in a in a ward setting um, and and learn about managing emergency patients. So that was that was my kind of primary goal for FY one. Um, and then in FY two we found out we got we we're going to get academic time built into our rota. Uh, so that, so then that actually allowed me to think, OK, I can open myself up now um, and approach supervisors to, to do something a bit more meaty. Um, and I've now inherited a, a few large databases of data uh, which I need to go through. Um, and I'm presenting at a few conferences which I've been able to take study leave for. And uh, on, the, on the neurosurgery unit, we've, um, they've, they've allowed me to take these academic uh, afternoons or a whole day um, in order to work on on project. Um, which has been really, really helpful. Um, it is a new sort of cultural change um, in in my program. So, so some some places aren't used to having the doctors take the half days off, and you do need to kind of have a little bit of pushing on your part. And I'd say just as a top tip is is as well for doctors uh, thinking about it, medical students thinking about the academic program is you need to be a a, a facilitator. Um, you know, you're not going to get anywhere if you just lie back and think people will spoon feed you. Um, you. You need to to make your own opportunities uh, quite often. Uh, some places have very, very rigid, you know, academic schedules, um, but, but you still require a lot of kind of self effort, um, which maybe on reflection I could have done more of um as an FY1 and um, but I was also balancing you know you know my home life and seeing family with working a Busy Rota um, and that was the choice that I I I made um, whereas other people would choose um to to, to do more uh, academic work Um whereas now I've kind of sort of shifted onto the other foot and I'm trying to put out more more um more research
1: mm-hmm. It's a conversation that we cover so often with the next step is that kind of elusive work life balance. And in some ways, particularly when you first start foundation training, with so much going on, something has to give. And it's personal to you as to as to what that might be. You know, some people might end up, you know, never getting to see family and friends because all they're doing is working and there's there's a flip side to everything, isn't there? So yeah, there has to be a yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and it's about you know it very very much depends on what your support networks are like and how understanding your friends are. Um, I have quite a few friends that are non-medics, and and um, and I have to say I absolutely take my hat off to them because they've they've accommodated me very well um, over the over the past few years, and my girlfriend as well um, has been very long-suffering. Um, but um, uh, but it's actually they're they're very good actually having non-medical. Friends and family to to kind of point out to you. Actually, are you, are you aware that you've not done much else? Um, and then it, it like gives you that bit of focus because it's so easy to get caught up in everything. Um, and I, I, again, Twitter is very useful for lots of anecdotes and kind of older older consultants telling about what uh, what they would have done differently or bits of tip bits of advice. And I think one of the most fantastic piece that i saw was saying that life needs to happen at the same time we can become very guilty and particularly as an academic because things don't happen straight away you you're always planning for the future and you th- you can think oh it'll be okay once i get my foundation school oh it'll be okay once i get my core post oh oh i just need to get my specialty post and then we can settle down um, and i know where we are you, you've got to remember you know your, your your family and your personal life has got to come um along with that otherwise you'll just keep delaying stuff and then one day you'll wake up and you think oh where's everyone gone um they so you, you've got to you've got to make time for things but uh, different people have different priorities um yeah no it's an it's an interesting uh, debate to have and look everyone will have different opinions on it um i i personally probably sacrificed um most is my own health really I could probably <laughs> I could probably go to the gym a lot more and eat a lot better um, and uh, you know one 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 day I'll work that and I'll learn how to work that into my routine and um, but my focus was I wanted to build up as strong an application as possible for, for specialty applications and um, whilst also exploring a kind of kind of little areas of neuroscience that were interesting to me.
1: It almost goes back again to that topic of just listening to yourself and being honest to yourself and in terms of making those priorities you have to do what's right for you not what everyone else around you is doing
2: yeah and it's and we're very guilty of comparing ourselves to our peers all the time and there will and there you know everyone will know about imposter syndrome and thinking oh well such and such is presented here and uh, has three first author publications he says you know you do what you 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 do you um and, and, and do what you're interested in and you'll have, every, everyone thinks that, that the person next to them has done better than them um, and you know in, if you, and this can happen as well if you're applying for the Academic Foundation programme and your friends aren't um, or all your friends seem to be applying for it and, and you really don't want to then that's okay. Just because it's different doesn't mean it's not okay. Um, and I think that's a conversation that doesn't happen too often, actually. Um, but you've just got to make sure, take take little checkpoints. I, I like to, at least once a week, just take a, a short amount of time um, just to say, am I still motivated in this? Do I want to continue doing this? Um, and usually the answer is yes. Or there's a little voice in my head that says Abs- no, Absolutely, you started this. You need to finish it. <laughs> um, you know, uh, you d- 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 don't don't give up when it gets difficult. You know, and, and if that that sometimes means coming off of night shifts and uh, and and getting a bit of work done post nights in order to and then seeing your family. Um, so sometimes you've just got to mo- just motivate yourself and I think in the last podcast actually uh, with one of the colleagues that I was on the, the Edinburgh panel with, um, she was saying about motivating yourself after a busy week to, to you know, go to the pub with friends or go and do climbing or go for a run. Um, I, I really want to echo that. You can become very guilty of saying, oh no, I'm tired, I'm going to go to bed. Uh, no, absolutely pick yourself up and get stuff done
1: yeah just to reference that that was our episode of the podcast with sarah douglas so she's doing her f1 and she's in army reserves and doing some part-time physios just for our listeners in terms of working out how you're going to juggle things going back to episode 1 part one and two will be a fantastic spot for that so yeah thank you for mentioning that it's really interesting hearing about your experience of the academic foundation program and i'm hoping that for our listeners it's going to mean that their expectations match that experience a little bit better but i suppose a, a question for you would be were your expectations sort of did your expectations match what your experience was or were there some real big things that surprised you when you got into it
2: um, yeah, I think um, even though I knew that my program didn't have dedicated time, uh, I thought the things would have been a little bit more regimented um, with regards to to training as a as an academic. Um, and in that first year, there really wasn't much that separated me at all from a, a regular foundation um, uh, trainee. Um, however, that that's changed this year, um, and we have monthly seminars. We have a journal club. Um, we'll have academics that come in from the university on a, in an evening, and it is in your own time. But people people go along to it, um, and they they tell their journey of how they got to where they are, um, and it's it is really interesting actually looking at the different generations and how and how their training differed to ours. Um, but there's it's, it's a very very sort of candid session we have each month. Um, and that's been really, really nice. It's not much, you know. It's one, it's one, one evening a month. Um, it's, it's, it's not much out of your timetable, um, but that's enough actually. And just having those kind of small things um, can can carry you through. And I think a much, I think my experience of the academic program in this year is how I envisioned it. Um, you know, I, I, didn't anticipate having a big chunk of time um, working in a lab for four months. And um, even though I did think about it. Um, the, I decided I didn't want that, and I think, but I did want some time to, you know, do a bit more than a quick QI project. Um, and that's been facilitated by the academic programme. Um, so I'd say I did align with the expectations. Um, th- there would be lots of people out there, I think, that have done the dedicated four-month research projects, which would um, de- definitely be worth hearing from um, uh, to see how their expectations differed. Um, I I presume they will all be good. And most people, if they're motivated and curious, um, doesn't really matter what their institution is doing for them because their opportunities are what they're making it. Um, You know, it's always looking at something and trying to build up on works. If you're doing, if you have to do a QI project, which is an outcome as a foundation doctor, think about, well, can I get the QI project done? Is it in a specialty that interests me? If I'm not on the ward and a specialty that I want to do, could I do something that's related to my specialty on the ward that I'm in? So that would be like if you're on a general surgery ward and you do not like surgery, you like medicine, but you could look at um, the sort of endocrine stuff on the, on the surgical ward or look at patients where their where their electrolytes are changing and relate it into the specialty that you want to do, so you just kind of look at saying, well, if you've got something that you have to do, how can you align that with something you're interested in, and then something that will generate an output? So present it at the local department meeting, and if that goes well, you know, re-close the loop on whatever QI project you're doing, and then present it at a, a regional or a national meeting, um, and that and that sort of maximises your output in what some might deem as a not great situation. Mm, that's fantastic
1: so it sounds like an opportunity for you to sort of steer things in a direction you want to go them if you want them to go in if you have an interest but perhaps you haven't been given that rotation it's an opportunity to go and explore something new and as you said kind of make it make it what it is make it happen
2: yeah like one, one of the most infuriating parts of my job was um the fact that the system we used to send bloods off um didn't work You know there was quite often you'd go and you couldn't you couldn't send the bloods off um into the vacuum system Uh, so i I did a very very quick qi project from that and you know i thought this is really frustrating i did something really really silly to to try and help people you know to to fix the problem it sort of fixed the problem a little bit um i told one of the, the the clinical manager about it and i said oh well actually you could come along and present that at our governance meeting and then from there, they they bought more pods. They bought more more units um, for the system. Uh, and then now we're going to go back and, and check to see how things were doing from that. Uh, and I've, it's been accepted for uh, international conference in QI. which And I'm not saying that to be like, oh, look what I've done. But um, it's one of those things that one of the most infuriating parts of the job it has actually given me the the kind of fuel to do to do stuff, which has ticked the box for for saying I've done a QI project, which is an outcome that you need as a foundation trainee. It's also given me an excuse to go to a nice conference down south, um, and and get all the learning associated with that. It's improved my presentation skills. is it's, so it's it's what you it's what you make it. I think. Um, I don't know if if I've deviated from your initial question there. Uh.
1: It's all good, it's all good. I know it's really cringe to have a mantra, but if I had to have a mantra, it would be hate something, change something. And that's absolutely what you've made happen. Instead of just putting up with that thing that was really frustrating, not just for you, but probably everyone else on the ward, you've taken an opportunity and done something about it. I think that's brilliant.
2: Yeah, and that's, you know, and the, when you're talking about the expectations of the academic program versus the reality, you know, if if, um, if you find that the reality isn't marrying up with your expectations, you do have to, you think to yourself, do, are my expectations too high and do I need to bring them down or is this situation something actually I can bring this up to my expectations? Um, so it's just you just got to constantly calibrate, you know, where you are, and you think, do I focus on how dismal this is, which um, doesn't happen often, or do I say, do I do I focus on um, how I can make this better? And that goes with with um, with uh, projects that you're doing. It goes with interpersonal rea- uh, interactions, you know, professional interactions in the workplace. Um, and it and it goes with how you balance your on-call shift and how you interact with family and friends when you come out of work. You think you can you can either choose to say, oh, I'm I'm really busy and I, I can't do anything, or I can say, says well, actually, I'm on call for the next two three weeks. I'm a really busy rota. But I, if you wouldn't mind travelling up uh, on this night, then I could see you for a few hours, um, and and build in and, and build things in. So you just got to be opportunistic and, and motivate motivate be self-motivated and, and facilitate rather than uh, obstruct in everything in life that sounds very philosophical i'm sorry
1: no oh, i like it and it's amazing that skills that you're working on in the workplace they're having a knock-on effect and you're using them everywhere you know even with family and relationships and things i mean it's a hot topic for us again on the next step is you know all of these things you know managing your personal relationships managing your work-life balance making the most of the opportunities you're having at work are all so interconnected and you've applied this mindset to all of those things that you're doing and and it seems to be working really well so i think that's really good advice thank you thank you good um so i remember you saying to begin with you had your eye on a certain specialty is it neurosurgery am i right in thinking
2: Uh, yeah that's my plan that um, is your
1: plan, if, amazing.
2: If, if the universe lets me. Um.
1: Sure. So, one of my questions would be Are there opportunities that have opened up doing the Academic Foundation program that you think have facilitated you going down the route you've been down? So, I know you said the application process is going to be a really great tool for you to use when it comes to applying for specialty. But is there anything else kind of along those lines?
2: Um, yeah, so I, I think just emphasising that, that the, the academic preparation process for the, for the, the programme um, is, is very, very alike the specialty application process that you will do um, in, in November of FY2, should you decide to go straight into specialty training or attempt to get into specialty training. Um, the, you know, the, the preparation of the folio uh, is something not to be underestimated, um, and certainly everything that you do. And if medical students are listening from a, I you know a, the the kind of lower end of medical school, um, when when they're they first started, you know is is, don't burden yourself with it. But it's never too early to start collecting information about what may demonstrates that you're a motivated person. Um, I certainly did quite a lot at the, my first three years in St Andrews when I wasn't really thinking about the point system um, that was specialty applications. And so I did quite a lot of stuff with no evidence um, and I could have worked smarter rather than, than harder. Um, but I'd say applying for the academic programme is uh, really good at preparing you for applying for specialty applications. Um, just getting used to one, selling yourself um and and learning how to talk about yourself in a positive fashion and just sort of collating what you've done and how that is relevant and how that makes you an apt person for a position that you want to do um the so i think it's been tremendously useful um i like certainly when it came to applying this year so i applied for neurosurgical training and core surgical training um and when it came to dealing with the portfolio i you know i just had to take mine out the out, out the out the bookshelf and amend it a little bit uh, but because, so the, the grunt work was already done and I was kind of in the mindset of how am I, am I going to to format this and of course there are, there are checklists and things that you need to adhere to but the fact that I'd done it just, just a year and a half previously uh, made the whole process a lot easier. I think opportunities wise uh, again it's what you make it. For me personally I, the second year rotations allowed me to do pathology Um, Which I think was a fantastic opportunity because in medical school, it's usually, you know, people are staring at slides on a PowerPoint and not understanding what's going on. And I thought that was a fantastic post. I was supernumerary um, and I got to attach myself to lots of different departments, which included the forensic pathology department. Uh, so, so I spent a lot of time uh, down in the mortuary and um, and then also in the labs, looking at specimens coming through. Uh, and that was fantastic. So it gave me a different angle to surgery um, and also the sort of diagnostic mindset. Uh, so the patho- they, when you think about people being meticulous in attention to detail, I um, think pathologists win. <laughs> um, they, uh, and, and I thought that was a fantastic sort of abstract way of thinking about um my, my, my clinical practice and what I wanted to do so so I was always you know the staff down there used to, used to know me as the one that was interested in neuro uh, because I would go down and, and look for for people that had, had neuro, neurosurgical or neurological pathology and um, trauma cases um, and, and I think that was an opportunity which in Glasgow certainly there's posts reserved for the academic treaties and only one post for the non-academic trainees, um, so certainly it facilitated that, uh, which gave me a very different perspective on, um, on pathology actually, uh, and I find that useful. You know, when I came into my neurosurgical job, the fact that I'd I dealt with brain cuts and, and things, it, it it gave me that sort of three D anatomical knowledge which I, you cannot gain from anything but fresh specimens, um and I thought that was really really exciting and it's a great talking point as well when you meet the surgeons to say oh well I've done this and uh, actually you 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 know I saw saw a few of these on the bench um and it's great for that clinical pathological correlation but with context um so that was a nice opportunity and also you know I was saying earlier about the academic program not sometimes not differentiating you from a motivated Mm -hmm. foundation trainee yeah yeah. Um, but I think by virtue of being on the programme when you're approaching potential supervisors, um, you know, it gives you a bit of clout. You know, it's some people say, oh, well, what's the academic foundation programme? Because it's a relatively new concept. Um, But some people will say, oh, well, this, this person's come to me and they know that you've had to go through an application process and an interview. And you've maybe got to let that little bit more motivation and self-drive um, and so they're more likely to engage in a meaningful interaction with you. So I, I think that's been a quite a good, um, the, the academic programme's been a good vector for me for for conversing with others.
1: Yeah, brilliant. And you made a really interesting point earlier in that... Um, you know, immediately something like pathology might not seem like a massively important thing to tie into where you wanted to go in your career, but you sought out the opportunities, you know, you went to look for neurological cases, you kind of made the most of that opportunity instead of being disheartened, yeah. like, oh, this isn't what I want to do. You still brought your A game to that and, and, and gave, it, gave it your role, which I think is really important for our students to take on.
2: Yeah, and it's and it's and it's like that, you know. If if anything, if you w- want to do orthopedic surgery and you live and breathe orthopedic surgery, and your FY one rotations are in respiratory medicine, uh, psychiatry, and uh, uh, geriatrics, then you, you know you, initially some people might be disheartened by that, but just it's a that's an absolute goldmine of things because all these people in these specialties will come. Through your specialty at some point, um, or you will need to refer to these specialties. So something to be something to be gained everywhere that you go, um, and you just need to be a wee bit smart about how you can apply apply it to what you're interested in.
1: Yeah, no, I I hope that that's really reassuring, and you've made a really good point there. That again, it is it is what you make of it. Do you feel that you're developing skills that are transferable between research and clinical medicine? So you made a really good point about your um, QI case, which I think is fantastic. But are there any other examples where you're thinking, I'm so glad I'm doing this sort of two pronged approach because things are crossing over that are useful?
2: Uh, Absolutely. So, So just some buzzwords uh, for, for this to answer this question actually uh, so things like negotiation time management um, trying to be a uh, you know trying to get time to go to conferences in a busy rota where you're quite short staffed and no one wants to cover to cover those extra shifts interdepartmental working um, so these are things that you you know if you're from the academic perspective of trying to find a supervisor that will work with you justifying that their time is worthwhile to to take you on because it's you know it's not just you that's investing the time whoever's training you is, has got to take the, the, the time to to train you um, for some people getting funding uh, getting ethical approval for things and this is the, the constant Pushing to to th- that's what sometimes feels like quite an uphill battle to get to your end effect. Now, if I if I was to say substitute getting your study leave to attend a three day conference and uh, to present a poster, um, I substitute that with with getting the the patient that no longer requires surgical input um, to a different ward or for a different specialty to come and view a patient um, in a in a busy system, um, your negotiation skills, I think, are vastly improved by doing the, the, the two-pronged approach. Um, and it's also, the, again, coming back to the being a facilitator. Um, so if you're trying to coordinate different departments, if you're doing a multidisciplinary research project, so just now I'm working with the neurosurgeons and the pathologists, by virtue of the fact that I did tied on to the neuro stuff and, and while I was in pathology. So we're trying to marry the um, the research together between the clinical side and the more pathological side. Um, so doing that as a, from an academic perspective, um, you know, it's absolutely transferable to, to how you interact in the ward. You know, it's, it, it can be very easy to say, I've got my role as an FY1 and I've got to get this referral done and um, the physios will deal with this and the nurses will deal with that. Um, and I think one of the biggest things that I've found is is most useful from thinking um I don't want to say thinking academically, because that sounds a bit pretentious. Um, but but what they thinking about doing academia has helped me is how do I facilitate the end goal? So you think what 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 is the end product you want to achieve, be it in research or a clinical outcome? And who do I need to speak to? And what actions need to happen for this action to occur? Um, and I think the being on the academic foundation program, even without dedicated formal dedicated time um, or even formal training, the fact that you're in this environment um, absolutely trains you in, in in doing that.
1: Yeah, being active, not passive, being yes, sort of a-
2: yeah yeah and realizing that lots of people some, so you can get fall into this trap and sort of clinical practice where you think everyone's got a different agenda and certainly the, the the system is so fragmented now with so many different subspecialties um you you know you've got the surgeons you've got the upper gi and the lower gi and the the upper gi consultants that are on for the on-call shift will something need to get the lower gi consultants and they'll have different ways of managing things and um and substitute any specialty of your choice into that scenario um yeah. and so people can kind of feel that everyone's competing for their own agenda but actually you focus focusing well actually know what we want is do we want to discharge mrs mrs d um to to her house so that she can go to her daughter's wedding in three months time and uh and and get there in a wheelchair but she needs the ramp for the for the for the house um and it's a conversation between lots of different people, and you've got to remember what's the end goal you want, um, and then that's equally transferable as, as an academic. If you're saying, "Well, I want to to the pathology with the clinical neurosurgery," um, uh, you you need to facilitate the conversation between all parties
1: yeah it's a really interesting perspective i've really enjoyed you kind of explaining that one for me um so yeah i just want to say thank massive massive thank you for coming and speaking about this topic with me again it's something that i feel isn't always covered in that much detail it's not something people always understand completely it's been amazing to hear your experience firsthand so yeah thank you very much for taking the time to chat to me
0: and that's our show for this week thank you to isabel and michael Is the michael referenced a few links and papers in there where can people find out more about those
1: we'll pop those down in the descriptor
0: brilliant and about the next step generally where can people go
1: definitely so on the content hub we have loads of really great resources that's www.wesleyan.co.uk forward slash the next step in particular an infographic we have about relocation for foundation training there's a little bit about the application process in there, which kind of ties in well with today. But also our social media channel. So on Instagram, you can find us at the Wes next Step, And on Facebook, we are the Next Step Wesleyan.
0: Brilliant. And Wesleyan generally, we're at wesleyan.co.uk, on Twitter, at Wesleyan, on Instagram, at Wesleyan underscore UK. And you can search for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. That's it for now. Until next time, Izzy. Thank you very much. See you next time. Bye-bye. See you.